How many people have I heard that they said, oh, you know, I, I live a very stressful life or job, whatever. I've tried meditation, I've tried yoga, I've tried this and that, but I never get that almost immediate turn off switch that when I put my face in the water and hold my breath, I strongly believe that there's something very unique and we have a very strong connection with water. And I've always made that joke when I'm teaching where I'm saying, you know, we're born 90% water. We dry up a little bit as we grow old, but, you know, we're, <laughs> we're still 60, 70% water as even as we grow old. It's episode 28 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Francois Leduc. Welcome to Dive in the Podcast, your favorite podcast about all types of diving, scuba, tech, freediving, and more. We cover it all. Every week on Monday, we post new episodes filled with diving news, interesting dive topics, ocean advocacy, and much more. Hi, everyone. I'm Justin. I'm Amit. I'm Nick. And I'm April. And we're the hosts of Dive in the Podcast. Tonight, we're speaking to Francois Leduc. He's an Ada and Patty freediving instructor and the owner of the freediving school Apnea City in Montreal, Canada. Apnea City organizes freediving courses, outings, as well as pool and depth competitions in Quebec. An avid supporter of the community, Francois is also co-founder and current vice president of Ada Canada. Francois, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really happy yeah. about the invitation. Yeah, well, we're happy to get you on even after kind of uh, taking a couple weeks to get there. <laughs> Yeah, we we had a hurricane. Of course, actually, the weather's worse tonight than when we had a hurricane <laughs> last week. So, <laughs> pretty funny how that works. Uh, speaking of last week, we had a funny interview with uh, with I guess me. So uh, that was that was nice. We had some feedback from one of our listeners, Jeff. He said he laughed the entire episode. So I don't know <laughs> if that means he laughed at me the entire episode or uh, or just our banter. Yeah, we weren't trying to be funny, so I guess uh, <laughs> it might be a bad sign. <laughs> well, I mean, I told him April went rogue, right? I was like, watch out, April went rogue. I don't know how we're going to bring her back in, but it, it seemed to work for the episode, so we're going to run with it. All yeah. right. More rogue April. That's what the viewers want, or listeners. I guess we're not viewers. Listeners want, so that's what they get. I'll do my best. <laughs> Perfect. That's all we can expect from you, April. Your best. I know. I know. So in today's news, Dan, the Divers Alert Network is uh, looking for at least a thousand divers who have contracted COVID-19 to participate in a multi-year study to assess how the disease affects the ability to dive. And they're looking for both free divers and uh, scuba divers, and they'll uh, do some surveys and then they'll follow up with some people. It's really important uh, that if you are a diver and you have had COVID that you contact Dan, because they are like one of the best resources out there for diving-related medicine. Yeah, this will be Definitely. very interesting to get get those results and see how this pans out. You know, there was some scary news that came out from that German doctor there months ago, but uh, it seems to be not as scary as they hoped. But man, hopefully that's not a thing for some people. Well, yep. I know Dean was saying with the military, they basically mm -hmm. told them like if they get COVID, like they aren't to be diving until it's basically like scientifically proven that it is okay. So there's a lot on the line. Like yeah. if he gets it, like he's, uh, I guess he's shore support for a while. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Thibaut Guigny is a French freighter, right? Uh, he just recently recovered from it. I don't know how bad it was, uh, but mm -hmm. he just competed, I think, in the uh, Mediterranean and, and did some dives there. Um, so I guess everybody's going to take their own decisions. I mean, nobody's going to, yeah. not, not everybody's going to wait, right, for right. the study to come out. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was thinking too, like they say people get it and they don't even realize that they have it. Like some mm -hmm. people get it and it's just like so, like nothing to them that they don't realize they have it. So is that still doing a lot of damage to them? Yeah. Well, they said they it's specifically weren't looking for people who are who were asymptomatic. So, uh, oh, okay. Interestingly enough, so they weren't yeah. looking, weren't looking for asymptomatic okay. people. I think that would be like really interesting. Like, if you didn't even know you have it, is there still like mm -hmm. a lot of damage to your lungs? Yeah, I guess as time goes on, we'll uh, find out more, and you know, we'll uh, we'll talk about it here. But speaking of talking about things, so let's get on to chatting with you, Francois. Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Well, from a freediving perspective, I've started freediving in 2001 or 2002, I, I think. My background uh, from, a, from a sports uh, point of view has been martial arts, actually, from early 
early teen up till now. I've been practicing martial art and it's actually the similarities between, you know, the body and mind aspect of freediving and martial art that actually attracted me to the sport. So it started in 2002 in Montreal, which is, you know, could probably be a surprise. It was a surprise for me in those years. <laughs> you know, I, I got... I got hooked by a, a, a friend that was playing underwater hockey, which I didn't even know existed in those years. And then he introduced me to the, the movie, The Big Blue. And then I said, God, I want to do that. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> now where am I going to do that? There's no ocean anywhere close uh, here. So started searching the web, which, you know, was probably just starting then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then just realized that there was a uh, freediving club in Montreal. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to call those guys and, you know, join in. And I did join, actually, the, the, the club. And I remember I was the – my membership card said number four. And there was three, <laughs> there was three guys, actually, that started this thing. So wow. it, was, it was probably their first members. And uh, being being passionate the way I am, you know, I really got into this, you know, was really excited about it and fun, found it fun and everything. And then showed, I was invited to uh, to the board meeting of the club, of the first year, actually, board meeting. And then got the surprise that the then president and founder of the club decided to resign. And um, and he proposed me as uh, as as, as the the, the next president. And then, you know, from that point on, I got, I got really I into it and uh, probably mm -hmm. too deep anyway. And, uh, <laughs> and I guess uh, what, uh, it's like two, you know, it's going to be 20 years soon and it hasn't wow. stopped. <laughs> <laughs> you, you seem to be in around and maybe some of the earlier days of Canadian freediving. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? It's interesting because in those years, I'm pretty sure that, CAFA was founded in about the same year that the CAS, CASM was founded. The, 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 so, and but nobody was really, you know, it was really early. Nobody was really talking to each other. And we had right from the beginning a very strong base of kind of recreational freedivers. So already in the early years that I, you know, I took the presidency of the club, I remember having like 50, 60 members. Uh, we were training regularly and everything, but nobody was competing. It was all about, you know, having fun. And mm -hmm. and then until we organized that first pool competition, I can't remember which, probably 2003 or 2004, something like that. Um, and so the early years for us was very, um, you know, about having fun. Uh, it was more about community than performance or anything. It was really about you know, doing recreational outings, uh, you know, trying to find any, any lake, any spot that had more than five meter visibility, uh, <laughs> to get some deep, uh, to get some depth. Um, and you know, in those years, actually there was one dive well here in, in Montreal at the Olympic stadium, but that was restricted. We couldn't, we couldn't access that dive well because there had been an accident in, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, and they were adamant about no freediving, no breath holds, nothing. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing to do there. So it was all about going out in lakes and, you know, doing some social stuff uh, together. Uh, and that, that was really the model that we grew the community on uh, for, for a number of years. And then as I was involved with the, with the club in development, um, there was starting to have some um, some interest about you know moving moving forward. Some people wanted to get more formation, you know, get you know, and some some of us were interested in in moving up the ladder and maybe potentially become instructors so we can we could better support the community. And these are the years that I started reaching out as we were going diving in different spots meeting people and started reaching out. There's, you know, there's one quarry that's co close to Ottawa and Ontario and then started realizing there was some divers in Ontario also. And then we started reaching out and, and branching and connecting with people. And uh, that's what got me to, to connect with a, f a few other guys across Canada. And then in the 
late, you know, 2008, um, mm-hmm. basically brought us to create uh, Ida Canada, which is another whole story. <laughs> What's the scene in, in Montreal now? Um, it seems that freediving, at least in Quebec or Montreal, seems to be pretty popular. Has it grown since? Is it, how, how has it changed? Yes, it's been growing. It's been particularly growing in the last last couple of years. I'm obviously my you know, on on my side. I basically decided to give up my real job to take care of the development of Apnea City, which is now five five years, almost six years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, dedicating myself full time in that. In right at the moment where. You know, when you look at numbers in in, in freediving certification across the world, things have been booming. Um, so there's the, the sport is getting more and more popular, and there's more and more people that want to do it. And because we there's a number of, of of us that have been doing for a number of years here, uh, I guess we've developed a certain certain credibility and and, and leadership in the market. So we've been busy and the, the, the community has been growing. There's a couple of schools, actually, that are teaching freediving. Quebec City has got their own clubs now for, for a number of years. Um, and and there's, there's other schools that have developed in Montreal. So, yes, the, the community has been very active and growing. That sounds good. Sounds healthy to have that kind of variety and and different people growing into that community. Absolutely. In previous years, you've you've dived and worked with uh, Canadian national world record holder William Winram, um, and you you've been involved with the, the Waterman Project. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, that's obviously been one person that I met in my life that had uh, has had a a huge impact. Um, as I uh, was talking about, you know, the moment that we created Aya Canada, actually, that's when I met William. And it was funny because um, Doug Sitter, who was the founder of Freedive Toronto, had connected us together because he knew him. And uh, it was funny because when, when we were, uh, you know, spending time together, me and Doug, Doug kept telling me about William and he says, guys, you guys are like brothers that have never met. You, I need to connect <laughs> you together. <laughs> So when we finally connected and saw each other and, and everything, we really hit it together. Uh, we've been, we've been, we, you know, we've we've become very close friends. Uh, William has become a mentor for us and a coach. He's still our main go-to as far as freediving is concerned. He is our IT, our uh, instructor trainer. So he's the one that that um, gave us our instructor certification. And I still talk to William, uh, not daily, but weekly for sure, on a number of topics. Um, but that friendship brought us to, yes, you know, one of the, 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 the biggest and most outstanding experiences that I had in my life in relation with freediving. William has developed an expertise through the years using his freediving and spearfishing skills, working with scientists across the world and helping them tag sharks particularly to understand better their behaviors. And so he founded the Waterman Project for that, which is a non-profit association related with conservation of pelagic species, but particularly sharks. In uh, 2010, I think, he invited me to participate in my first shark expedition. Actually, it was my first shark experience of my life. And it happened to be with great whites. So my first shark that I encountered without a cage was a great white. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So he keeps telling that story to everybody across the world saying, you know, I'm the only guy that he knows that that started diving you know, great whites. And uh, that led actually the year or two years after that to another expedition for a production of IMAX 3D movie that has been aired all over the world. It was called Great White Shark 3D. So I was on that, that expedition uh, doing in-water safety for uh, William and uh, Fred Bull also who was there mm-hmm. um, for that movie. So that was uh, a hell of an experience. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's been quite amazing. So I, I know like I have another question in mind here for you, but, but I got to ask you. So you, you get into the water for the first time to see a shark. Yeah. It happens to be a great white and you got no cage. What like what's going through your head at that point? <laughs> well, yeah, you get you know, to put it in perspective, William obviously had, you know, briefed us and, you know, trained us properly on saying, Okay, this is how it's gonna happen and everything and this is how you do this, you know. But and one of the key elements that William had told us is about 
about standing our ground is first of all to stay always alert you know because contrary to what the tendency has been since then and and most recently on social media where it almost feels that you know there's a number of people that are that are almost petting those sharks and making it look like it's it's totally okay uh, I, th- I think that's the wrong image to give to the population. Uh, there are apex predator, and you need to be careful. So the you know the first first advice you know stay alert. Don't you know there's no time to start playing around with something or 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 let your guard down or your attention down. And then second, if a shark uh, comes at you, uh, which will most probably happen, particularly with great whites, he will come straight at you. And at that moment, it's very important to stand your ground and basically act confident, you know, so (laughs) and even move forward (laughs) and even move forward. And I'll always remember that, you know, all my life. The first time it happened to me, I saw the shark coming and it was literally for me, it was the image of Jaws. It was the same thing. (laughs) You see the teeth. You know, you, you know, kind of the the smiling jaw with the teeth, and, and he's coming straight at me. And I'm going, wow. okay. William said this. William said, stand your ground. <laughs> and and um, and I remember thinking also because obviously I had a little bit, you know, prepare that from that point of view. Is to me, it was like facing a facing uh, somebody in in martial art. So my mind was kind of into a fight mode of going, all right, come on, come on. You know, you will you you want to get me? Come, come get me. And then obviously. You're you're kind of going as 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 that thing is moving closer and closer. You're going okay. Hopefully that's going to work, and the, the shark's going to do exactly what <laughs> William told me he was going to do, and and finally he did. But it was he was awfully getting close at that moment. But yeah, on basically at the last second, you know, a couple of meters, maybe you know, ten meters from you, the shark finally finds out that you're not acting in in a prey mode and then gets concerned and you could feel then that he's kind of moving around you and just checking you out because he doesn't know what you are and it's really that feeling that you're getting is you're getting that feeling that okay i'm being cautious cautious he's being cautious we're checking each other and as long as it stays this way it's going to be fine uh but it's it, it was an interesting a very interesting first um first encounter that's pretty awesome yeah, that's. I don't know how you'd have a better story than that, really, for no. your first encounter with a great white. <laughs> no. um, that's something else. So I got. I got to ask you, Francois. So in all of this, you decide to start Apnea City, a free diving school in landlocked Montreal. It's cold. It's you can't dive there most of the year. So what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, we're we're crazy here. Um, well, it, you know, if if um, if you go on on Apnea City's website. Um, you're going to find out, I can't remember where exactly, but uh, our four core values. And and before we put out, you know, at, we created Appian City and, and and put up the website. I was coming from a, a you know, in the, in the fitness field, but from a, a management point of view. So I was very in tune into that. And it was important for me to put something out that corresponded to who we were and the values that we had. So we put four core values and they're in order of priority and they represent really what we were trying to do. That first core value is safety. You know, safety is right on top. William has always been very demanding uh, to us in relation with safety, Uh, not only in competition setting or training setting, obviously in expedition setting uh, from the point of view that, you know, what makes the power of safety is to do it all the time. There's no moment where you can say, oh, nah, everything, mm. you know, it's really nothing right now. You know, I keep telling my, my, my students and my athletes, I said, think about it. In any situation, when does an accident happen? Most of the time, it's not when you're very concerned about safety. is when you feel safe and you start to let your guard down. So that's why safety is really that number one priority. You know, when I started... Um, um, freediving was, uh, like I said, at the Olympic Stadium, we couldn't do it, but there was a lot of pools where that, that were scared of freediving that we didn't have. The reputation of freedivers then was not as good as it is today. Um, and so we were very concerned about giving an, an image of the sport that was really professional, 
uh, really strong. And so that's why safety was right there. And then the second value uh, is pleasure. You know, and you might say, okay, you go from safety to pleasure. Um, and why? And, and obviously the reason they're in order is that, well, if there's no safety, there can't be any pleasure. But the pleasure is really the main thing we're doing this. You know, one of the thing that we focus on is developing a community. You know, I get, you know, and Nick can, can witness to that because you guys, you guys have done an amazing mm. job in Halifax and Nova Scotia in developing that. Um, people get really hooked into the sport of freediving. And, you know, it almost becomes like a way of life. But I always, I always tell people, it's not the sport that is making us unique. It's the community. And people come back to training, not only mainly because they miss the training, but that because they miss the people. And that's what people need nowadays is they need that connection. Um, so pleasure and, and the, the creating that community has always been one of our top priority. After that, both you know, myself and, and my partner come from martial art, competitive background. So um, the third one is, is uh, pushing your limit. You know, so we do organize competition and we do believe that if you practice freediving only on a recreational level, you can do that. I'm not judging anybody of, of just doing that. And you don't have to compete to test your limit. But testing your limit from a point of view of pushing, of trying to go further, uh, longer or anything will, will make you face certain aspects of yourself that you will not get in recreational freediving. And I think it's a key element of, of freediving. So that it is also that third value. And, and the last one is respect. And it goes connected with the previous one is that, yes, you push your limit, but you need to respect yourself. So don't push too much. Uh, you need to respect your buddies, also your fellow freedivers, because uh, when you're pushing, there's always somebody watching over you. And so if you're doing this in a dumb way, uh, you're not only jeopardizing your own safety, but you might be jeopardizing the safety of your buddy. Uh, and it's also about, you know, respect, obviously, of the environment, of, of the water, but respect also of any any places, any facilities. My approach has always been that if a if a pool is giving us access to their facility, mm. I'll always try and I'll, I'll, edu I'll educate people to pick up their stuff at the end of a session, pick up your boards, pick up, you know, you ask any lifeguard what they hate the most about, about their, their shift is picking up, <laughs> picking up stuff at the end of the day uh, that everybody's leaving around. And that's, you know, that's a lack of respect. And so, you know, trying to put all these core values together was some of the key element. And, and I think, what really makes the uh, the difference of our community, considering that we don't have the ocean, uh, we're we're you know it's cold you know almost half of the year, it is that it's, it's that community, uh, that community is created and and William has been traveling all over the place and has been telling me about this. He says, "Listen, I've been all over the place. There's a lot of people training. There's there are large communities in France, in Italy, and everything." But he says, nobody has what you guys have uh, uh, in Montreal. This is something I'm quite proud of, you know, because uh, mm. it says a lot about the culture of what we've tried to try to create. And and going through the last year with the current situation, COVID has been a good test of that. And at the same time, I think for a lot of our people, a good way of staying sane, actually, through through this craziness. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can tell you about you know, and the word, the, the name of the company, actually, Apnea City, also came from from the urban aspect. And, you know, and a lot of people have been have been making comments about the the, the look of our of our website because, there's, there's it, you know, it's got some badass kind of superhero type <laughs> of picture on it. And and that was done on purpose also because. Uh, in the year that we created Apnea City, if you looked at websites uh, you know, related with diving or freediving across the world, they all pretty much looked the same. It was all dolphin, blue blue water, and everything. And Phil and I, my partner, looking at this, is that's not us. You know, there's no blue <laughs> water around. You know, we're lucky if we get if we get ten meters of vis. Uh, the water's cold. There's a thermocline. You know, it's like everything. And we live in the city, um, so. You know, originally the name uh, was uh, uh, inspired actually from Sin City, 
which is, you know, a, the Frank Miller type. So it was gothic a little bit. I, I even my first mm -hmm. logo was even black and red, but that was a little bit too much. <laughs> we, 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 we turned it to blue a little bit later. Um, but it was all about saying that is like, yeah, we live in the city. We have no ocean close by. Um, but we still managed to, to get that, that freediving life right at the heart of everything that we're doing. And yeah, I'm quite proud that we have developed quite, quite a community. I hear people comment on your website and I've, that was probably one of the first things I did when we first met and I was looking at your website and I was like, man, these pictures are pretty amazing. Uh, you know, the, yeah, the, uh, yeah very Frank Miller-esque. Uh, that's yeah. funny. That's, uh, <laughs> it all makes sense now. It all clicks. Uh, <laughs> Justin, you said we needed to get pictures like that. I, that's literally what I said. I was like, April, why, why do we not have badass photos like Francois has? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all that being said, we're going to uh, take a quick break and we come back, uh, uh, we'll talk some more with Francois about uh, Apnea City and uh, diving in Canada. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Torpedo Rays is a local dive shop in Nova Scotia. If you're not in Nova Scotia, that's okay. They've got a wonderful website, torpedorays.com, T-O-R-P-E-D-O-R-A-Y-S.com. All of the scuba gear you could ever need is there. If you can't find it, give Jason a call, 902-481-0444, and he'll be happy to help you out. And these challenging times, it's always great to shop local. Don't go to a huge, big box help support your local dive shop buy something you've had your eye on excellent time to make a good deal buy a gift certificate to use later whatever the case may be torpedo rays and torpedorays.com will be there for you once again their number is 902-481-0444 or torpedorays.com Welcome back, everyone. We're speaking to Francois Leduc, freediving instructor and uh, co-owner of Apnea City, Montreal. You said you co-founded or were in the founding side of Ada Canada. What led to that decision, but also what uh, what's come out of that for Canadian freediving? I started reaching out to try to get some support for, for instruction. And obviously, in those years, originally, I think I had reached out to Ida International and the only answer we were getting from the organization, which was, you know, still still early, they were basically uh, directing us for the next instructor course somewhere in Egypt or whatever. And it would cost us like God knows how many grants to get there and the, the cost of the course on top of that and everything. And we were all doing this on, you know, on a volunteer base as a hobby. So it's like nobody had five grand to invest to become an instructor. And to me, it was like, okay, God, I can't, you know, I can't believe there's no way to get some support to get at least an IT in Canada or something. Then there was potentially some support in the West, but it was pretty much the same answers we were getting there, you know, it was very expensive. And, you know, what I was looking for was, you know, we were, the club was a non-for-profit organization and we were, you know, we were looking for that kind of philosophy of support. And that's when I, you know, I realized there was Free Dive Toronto that existed, you know, so I realized there's a couple of individuals and, well, actually a lot of people across Canada that needed that kind of support. And that led us to connect some of the top freedivers uh, in Canada. And we decided to create Ina Canada at that moment and basically recruited a lot of members because the East part the east of Canada wasn't really, uh, hadn't been involved in any way before. So when we got Free Dive Toronto and the Chasm group together, we already had like more than, you know, more members. And then so we submitted our candidacy to be the national uh, representative for Canada at IDA International and won the bid basically. So we became the national organization then. I was the founding president. Uh, William Winram was on the board. Roberta was the current president. Pete Scott was involved in that. There's a couple of guys that were, you know, some of the top names, in, you know, from down west and everything. And then obviously Doug was on this. And right from the get-go, our goal was really to kind of take some of that community base that I was talking about and bring it forward to the whole Canadian community. So kind of shifting a little bit away from 
from the competing aspect, but trying to get people involved in freediving. And the base of developing freediving is education. Mm-hmm. Competitive, the competitive aspect is important from a point of view of, of media, of exposure, because that's what always the media will want to talk about. You know, who's the top, who want, who can hold their breath the longest, who can go the deepest and everything. And that's normal. So, you know, that's the competitive aspect of the sport. But for the vast majority of people out there, even though it's fascinating, that's not the reason why they do, they start freediving. And so that's something that we wanted to be ingrained in the culture of Ida Canada to develop for the future so that we could potentially support other groups everywhere in Canada to develop their own club and develop a little bit that base of starting people to enjoy the fun of freediving. And then, yes, maybe eventually support them also and support a competitive circuit through that. It's been a long road, but I'm still quite happy of the ground that's being made and uh, the growing of the sport. There's still large areas of Canada where there's no <laughs> yeah. nothing, nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting more and me- more and more people reaching out, Ida Canada, wanting to get some support to develop their sport. And there's some initiative that we've done, and that's actually how I I met uh, you guys actually, because mm-hmm. um, we went out there to to help out the start to get started, and that was kind of the the concept or the idea that we had from the beginning is trying to be able to to support the development of the of the sport across Canada. So, can you tell us a little bit more about how Ada Canada was involved with founding the Halifax Freediving Club? God, who who reached out first to us? Was it Jared? Was it Jared? I think, I think Jared. it was Jared. Yeah, it was Jared that reached out to us and had some interest. And then Justin was involved also because uh, Torpedo Rays was involved. And that's basically how we suggested and got started in saying, and saying, and this was the moment that Patty, the Patty Freediving Program was starting. And we saw a window there to potentially work with local dive shops that were interested in getting into freediving, but that didn't have the expertise, that didn't know much about it, to help them help them develop uh, locally. And that was kind of the approach originally, where um, we basically helped Jared to get uh, things going uh, with Justin and Torpedo Race, got involved into that and supported the initiative. And then uh, it was me and Gary uh, Davis that flew in to give the first freediver course, I think, I believe it was, I think it was probably the first Patty freediver course in Canada. Uh, actually, <laughs> we really? might, yeah, we might not, <laughs> actually, we might have given a couple with Gary here with his dive shop in Montreal. Um, but it was really some of the early uh, Patty freediver uh, courses that were given. And uh, well, you know, right away, you know, you guys, the connection and the understanding of that, the importance of that community. I mean, you've been an example through Ida Canada now. I mean, uh, the Halifax Freediving Club has done, I think, has taken what we have given them as an example, whether it was from Gasm or you know other clubs here, and I've brought this to another level. So it's really, really. Really nice to see what you guys have managed to uh, grow there in a, in you know a quite a limited time. So it was really cool. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping we can keep that up. This has been a challenging year for the club with with yeah. COVID and all the restrictions, but it's probably a level playing field for everyone. Yes. Yeah, and obviously, you know, I always say that for something to to keep going, numbers is numbers is very important. You know, there was always there will always be some attrition. But once you reach a certain level, that attrition doesn't impact you as much because you know there's 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 more people coming and everything. When you're early, st- when you're starting uh, a club and and then you get hit with something like COVID, it's obviously much tougher. And if pools, you know, you guys had issue with pools right from the beginning, uh, so I am guessing that pools are probably much more reluctant about getting back into regular business and sports and everything. Yep. Uh, that we've seen here i mean we've had the privilege of having an outdoor pool the outdoor pool that we use during the summer uh, which is a dive well actually so it's you know it's 25 meter by 25 meter and it's five meter deep and we have underwater music in there and everything Uh, (laughs) 
this has been yeah this has been a one of the most popular activity in the summer for the past three or four years since I've started using that pool. Uh, on average, we have between forty and fifty people training together in there, but the pool is so big it looks like it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> but in the middle of the crisis of COVID, that pool still reopened with a lot of restriction. It was complicated at the beginning. And then one of the other pool that we use, that we've started using, the first one we've started using almost 10 years back in the heart of the city in downtown, was also the first one, the first indoor pool to reopen this summer and give us the ability to start teaching again. So that was huge. It was really, really huge. And then obviously, through the years, I have developed a number of contacts all over the place. And I've always been careful to you know, try to you know, maintain good contact because you never know when it, it can become useful. At the beginning of May, when the government here started to talk about deconfining sports in general, May 21st was the first press conference to announce the first sports that were getting deconfined. And thanks to some of the contacts that I had and some of the work that I had done in the background, we were happy and lucky to announce that not only diving was part of those sports, but free diving was nice. actually mentioned in the press conference by, by, by the minister of sport. It was like, oh, yeah, Ray, yeah, free diving. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, so you know, it was really, really cool to, 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 have, to have that win of saying, hey, yeah, we're the first sport. We're part of the first sports that, that are being deconfined. We can get back in the water and start free diving. At the beginning, we couldn't teach, but you know, a couple of weeks after, we we were allowed to teach again. So, that's a testament that you know, if free diving shows up on on a ministerial press briefing, that it, it shows that the, the sport is on the radar, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, in the last few years, there's been new clubs and and across Canada and a renewed interest, and like you said, the community is growing and. Um, a little bit with it, what what I like to call a sort of a new generation of competitors yep. that are breaking depth and pool records. So we got Sheena McNally, we got Matthew yep. Duvaux, and then we got Sylvain Desolnier. Hopefully I'm not missing anybody out there. Where do you see the future of Canadian freediving going? I'm quite positive to see how this is developing, even though I still think that we are in the early days of freediving in the modern part of that. When I started to dedicate myself full-time to the school, I said, and I've been saying this for quite some time, I think freediving is where skateboarding and surfing was 50 years ago. I don't think it's going to take us 50 years to get there because everything is getting accelerated nowadays. Mm -hmm. But I think the sport has the potential to become as epic and special, you know, skateboard skateboarders have, you know, believe about their sport or surfing is to the world right now. And it's still, I, I still think that it's the, at the early days of this. I mean, the, the fact that the diving agencies got into that market recently mm -hmm. uh, was a first sign. But at the same time, I, I believe that the diving agencies, not a lot of diving um, uh, shops and even agencies have really understood that market and and how to attract it and where it's going. And then obviously, you know, the, the frustration in development of a sport and, you know, IDA Canada is a non-for-profit organization. IDA International is a non-for-profit organization. And it, it, because everything is still at the early days, there's not a lot of money in the sport yet. And everything is being done sometimes in a very amateur way. And uh, sometimes it's frustrating, especially for a guy that's coming from a business, uh, business background. <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned, to be, I've learned to be patient. I think it's very interesting, Nick, what you're saying about the fact that there's new, a new generation of freediver that are coming up and that have a different, a different attitude, a different connection with the sport. And I believe that... We have a sport that's very unique from the point of view of the mental aspects of the sport, how it benefits on so many levels, but on some levels that are so needed in our society nowadays related with, you know, the ability to manage stress, uh, the, mm -hmm. the ability to focus, you know, the ability to um, to let go <laughs> that, that, you know, that's always the fun thing when you try to, to teach students 
And I'm sure you can relate to that, Nick, of saying, okay, no, you, you know, don't, don't get frustrated. Just let go. It's like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. People, people hate that when you tell them that, but yeah, you have to tell them them like 50 times until they, they accept to let go. And then whoops, suddenly everything gets together. Um, so it's not per chance, not per luck that, that freediving has such attraction And, and freediver's life uh, has kind of the same resonance to me than the, sur the surfers or the, or the skateboarders uh, have about it. So, but what I think the sport needs the most is probably a little bit more structure. And because of the, it is going through growing pains right now. I mean, I've seen numbers, growing numbers of certification by IDA to, uh, through IDA International. And it's scary, the number of certification and the growth of it. I'm not, I'm, and I'm not sure all agencies are going through that right now. And so there's a, there's a need for structure. There's a need to put back money in those structures. The sport is getting big enough that this stuff cannot no longer be done only on a volunteer base. You know, it's no longer about you know our buddies that are getting together to organize things. This is this is becoming a business. This is becoming an organization that we need to put together properly if we want to continue building the credibility that the sports need uh, for the future. It's a lot to think about there. That's, yeah, that uh, probably a lot of people aren't thinking about as far as where this sport is going. I want to ask you one final question, Francois, and that is um, you're so deep into diving here and free diving. What really keeps you diving? What keeps you going back? For me personally, it's, it's always that, that first connection. And at first... I thought it was unique to me in the sense that I, I, you know, I was thinking, okay, I really got passionate about this and going, you know, there's something unique when you put your face in the water and you hold your breath. There's a silence there. There's a moment that is right there, right now, that is very mm -hmm. unique. And then through the years, coaching and teaching, I started realizing that, hey, no, that it's not only me. It's like everybody's telling me that. You know, a bunch of people have told me, you know, how many people have I heard that they said, oh, you know, I, I live a very stressful life or a job, or whatever. I've tried meditation. I've tried yoga. I've tried this and that. But I never get that that almost immediate turn off switch that when I put my face in the water and hold my breath, I strongly believe that there's something very unique and we have a very strong connection with water. And I've always made that joke when I'm teaching where I'm saying You know, we're born 90% water. We dry up a little bit as we grow old, but, you know, we're, <laughs> we're still 60, 70% water as even as we grow old. There's a unique connection with water with mm -hmm. us. And, you know, surfers live that also. There's a lot of people who are connected with water to have that connection. Uh, be, but because of the fact that, you know, we don't use any equipment and everything and that mammalian dive reflex that kicks in, that's something that I'm going back all the time. I was yesterday, actually, I don't know if you guys have saw some of the pictures I posted today. I was in the only mm -hmm. dive well um, in North America that still exists other than, than, than obviously the NASA dive center, which is obviously not open to the public, but it's, it was a, a 20 meter dive well. And we had, we were there for a shooting for a web series that we're, we're preparing for, but it was such a blast to be in the water. And even though we were shooting and there had to, you know, we had to take some takes and everything, mm. you know, so it was like, uh, you know, every time it was like, okay, can, 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 can I go down now? Can I dive? <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> okay, I just, <laughs> just want to dive. And then at the end when everything was done, I said, okay, we're done. We're done. This is okay. Well, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to take my weight down. I'm going to do a, a variable weight down the, down the thing just, just for the fun of it uh, because it makes you feel great. You know, and the whole day that I was in the water, close to the water, around that, even though we were working for the shoot, nothing else mattered. It was, you know, there was nothing in my mind. When everything was over, as I was driving back home, I was, oh, God, shit, there's this. And then there's the COVID for that. I hope I'm not going to get shut down there. And this. And then, then I started to get worried. But all the time I was in the water, there was nothing about that. So that's, mm -hmm. that's really the main thing. I definitely can feel you on that. And uh, <laughs> I have that same, yeah, that same feeling. So it's funny that we all share that. And it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's really true. That's a strong connection between the when, when you know this is where that unique core mm -hmm. connection with freediver comes from. 
Yeah. And I don't, I don't get that scuba diving. I, I only get that really truly uh, in free diving. We've got a couple more things to chat about, uh, Francois. If you don't mind, we'll keep you on here and we're going to go over to April and chat about her pro tip this week. This week, my pro tip, it's all about hand signals. As divers, we almost have our own much more basic version of sign language, really, that we use to communicate with underwater. And you learn these hand signals in your open water course. But one thing you have to do is go over these hand signals before a dive. And I know, you know, you get rusty or you go to certain places and they have a hand signal that's like specific to their location uh, that you might not recognize. So, you know, sometimes you go down south and they have like the hand signal for turtles. Uh, We don't have that in Nova Scotia. And uh, (laughs) don't have that in Montreal either. (laughs) No. So there's certain things, you know. I mean, if you, uh, some places you might go, they might not do, you know, the nice lobster hand signal that we do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's nice to chat with people. And the other big thing is that, you know, someone goes to take your picture on a dive, don't give them the big thumbs up. Because uh, <laughs> that means something else. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the first dive I ever went on with my boyfriend, who is a military diver, we didn't talk about hand signals before the dive. We just kind of went. And I signaled to him, are you okay? And he gave me a big thumbs up. And I we went to the surface. And he's like, why did you come to the surface? I was like, well, you said we're going up. And he's like, no, I told you everything was good. And I'm like, uh, no, you said we're going up. Like you gave me the thumbs up. But in military diving, a thumbs up does mean you're okay. And to them, like pointing with your index finger towards the surface, that means you want to go up. So just like little things like this, it's going to make your dive run a whole lot smoother and you're not going to ascend when you don't have to. So that's my tip this week. Go over your hand signals before a dive. Yeah, make sure you don't give them the middle finger. <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. <laughs> That's the other up signal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that just all goes back to the whole communicating with your dive buddy, communicating with the person you're diving with in general, having that chat before the dive, you know, and you said you didn't didn't have that chat with your boyfriend that first dive, right? Because no. you assume you know everything you need to know, but. You, you know, it seems basic, but literally just going through a couple hand signals, talking about what you're doing on the dive, having a plan or yep. having a general idea of what you're doing makes so yep. much difference. And like, I mean, you skip it because mm-hmm. you think like, oh, well, at the time I was a dive master and, you know, he's a military diver. So you figure like, oh, we're both good divers. Like we don't have to go over these like basic things, <laughs> but really you do like yeah. just just. Take the extra five minutes, do your buddy check, go over your hand signals and plan your dive and everything runs a whole lot smoother. That's a great pro tip. Thanks, April, for that. And I'm going to toss it to myself, I guess. Uh, I've got my first travel segment uh, here. So this is just a really quick travel segment. I'm going to talk about some places that I've been over the next few weeks. And I'm not going to do so much of a uh, plus minus thing, but I'm just going to kind of tell you about what I really like about a few places around the globe. So up first, I'm going to talk about the West End in Roatan. Roatan's an island off the coast of Honduras. It's a small kind of, it wasn't no, well known for a number of years, but I guess it's also pretty well known now. And the West End, though, is my favorite spot on the island because it's a backpacker area. There's no all-inclusive resorts. There's no big hotels. Um, when I go there, I rent a house and uh, or stay in a you know, small place. There's hostels there. And, uh, and what do you do when you get in West End? Well, of course, you go scuba diving. Uh, there's a couple, of, a couple of specific spots there that are awesome. Spooky Channel is a cut in the reef wall where you can go down and see things like frogfish and maybe occasionally peek out on the other side of the reef and see a hammerhead shark swim by of all things. So there's also the blue channel that is full of amazing swim throughs, the wreck of the Aguila, which is uh, the most common first dive of the day to get a nice deep dive in and non-diving wise. Actually, one of my favorite things to do was the zip line tour, which it sounds silly and touristy, <laughs> but like it starts literally at the highest point on the peak of the mountain there and uh, goes tree to tree to tree to tree all the way down to the beach. And it's so much fun. Also taking the water taxis to West Bay Beach for snorkeling. There's a maze of coral there that is uh, is just so, so fantastic. It's probably the best snorkeling I've ever done anywhere. So definitely check it out. If you have any questions, shoot me a message and I'll happy to answer those. 
I haven't had the um, the privilege of going there, uh, Justin, but I I know a lot of our fellow freedivers have been there. It's also a very favorite spot for freediving. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of freediving straight from shore, uh, supposedly, is really amazing there. Yes, a uh, small world there. Uh, what's his face that holds the competitions? Esteban? And Esteban. Esteban yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, when I was doing my dive master in Roatan, Esteban was uh, was one of my instructors there oh, at, yeah? Uh, yeah, at Pura Vida, the dive shop. So it's kind of funny to go full circle with that. And we'll make, uh-huh. one day we'll have to go down for a freediving competition in Roatan. Yeah. All right. Well, Francois, thank you again for sticking with us for the whole episode and giving us a lot of insight into diving and the history of diving in Canada and, and you know, I guess creating <laughs> agencies in Canada and, and just bringing it all together. You've got a lot of uh, got a lot of history writing on your shoulders. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and an honor, actually, to be uh, to be invited, guys. And April, thanks for uh, being here. Thanks for coming on the show and helping out. Oh, well, you know, thanks for having me, Justin. Well, you know, I just always want to say thank you to you, April. I uh, love it. <laughs> Amit, thanks again to you. Uh, absolute pleasure. And uh, I got to say, uh, the story I'm taking with me from this one is going to be staring down the great white as if yeah, it was a bear. Me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was a fantastic story. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Amit. And Nick, thank you. Yeah, that's been a pleasure. And Francois, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, hopefully this COVID business is over soon and we can uh, get together to dive again. Yeah, yeah, get together again. And got to get back to this the project of bringing the community to Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And we need to get a comp in Nova Scotia. Going. Yes. And that does it for hey, today's Justin. episode. Hey, hey, April. Do you know what today is? Uh, other than Wednesday, I do not know what today is. Today is National Podcast Day. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even realize that. No, I didn't either. And then I uh, I saw it on Instagram and I thought, wow, we're even recording a podcast on National Podcast Day. Yeah, well, I guess there's only two places to get news and that's Facebook and Instagram, both owned by the same company. So I'm glad we, uh, we found that out so we can celebrate National Podcast Day by recording a podcast. Now, is this a national holiday in the United States or Canada or both? I don't know. I mean, I took the day off work. I'm assuming oh. I'm getting paid for it. Yeah. It must be a federal holiday. Yeah, I'm going to go with be. that. Yeah. Must be that podcast <laughs> pension kicking in. Yes. There you go. And now we're what talking. are we doing working right now? I know. We're just we're just skimming off our $25 in the bank. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for that update, April. You're welcome. Back to the credits. <laughs> You can follow the show on Instagram and Facebook with at divein.thepodcast. Our email is divein.thepodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.diveinthepodcast.com. On there, you can send us a voice message and find links to all of our past episodes. On social media, you can follow me at idiveok. April is at April Weikert. Nick Winkler is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. And you can find links for everything we mentioned on today's episode in the show notes or on our website, diveinthepodcast.com. Tune in next week to hear our special guest, This episode of Dive in the Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Rays Scuba. Head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thanks for listening.